Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Good evening. Not going to do a lot of Bible teaching tonight. I think we've moved beyond that in the spiritual realm where we're ready for deeper kingdom truths. Just kidding. I actually heard a guy say that to me once. I think I may have shared that with you. He had uh, had come to Christ in high school and uh, actually came to our church for a while, then disappeared, kind of dropped off the face of the earth. I ran into him one day out of Parkland and asked him how things were going. He said, pretty good. Still walking with the Lord? Yeah. I said, where are you going to church? Well, I don't meet, uh, I don't go to church. I meet with uh, some guys in our church. where I live. And uh, I said, oh, so you do a Bible study? He goes, well, we don't study the Bible much anymore. We're into deeper kingdom truths. No, but no, the reason uh, I'm not going to look at a lot of the Bible tonight is I want to take some time tonight to honor the life of a man whose faithful service to God and whose love for people was responsible for literally millions of salvations in our lifetime. He was a humble man of humble origins, but his dedication to his ministry caused him to go above and beyond the call of duty. And even many of you sitting here tonight are here because of him. And speaking, of course, of Edward Kimball. (laughs) Edward Kimball was a volunteer Sunday school teacher in Boston in the 1850s. And uh, he had a class of teenage boys, and he made it his goal to win every single one of them to the Lord. I don't know if he met that goal, but there was one boy who caught his attention because this kid refused to pay attention. He slept often in class or just didn't seem interested. He wasn't a distraction. He wasn't bad. He just didn't seem interested. And so uh, Edward Kimball went and visited this young man at the shoe store where he worked on a Saturday on his own time. And he went back into the stock room where uh, this young man was working. And uh, he shared the gospel with him there and urged him to accept Christ. And he did. He prayed the prayer right there in the shoe store. And uh, Edward Kimball was not sure it took. He knew he said the words, but he wasn't sure it took. But you know what it did? That kid's name was Dwight L. Moody. Heard of him? Moody, of course, Uh, had a tremendous ministry in the United States and Europe. Uh, Moody Bible Institute, of course, is still still there today, and and Moody Church and all sorts of... uh, His legacy is is huge. Uh, But while he was uh, touring Europe, he was actually in in, uh, England, I think, and uh, in one particular meeting in a smallish Baptist chapel that was uh, pastored by a scholar named F.B. Meyer. Uh, The meetings were going well, but Meyer, Pastor Meyer, really didn't like Moody's style. Moody wasn't a scholar, and he didn't like like Moody's presentation, but he saw how successful the meetings were and soon was won over uh, by Moody's style and his message and his ministry and became a big fan of Dwight Moody and a great friend of Dwight Moody. And Moody invited F.B. Meyer to the United States on a preaching tour. 
And uh, while he was preaching in the United States, he was at a Bible conference. And he issued this famous challenge. He said this, If you are not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? If you are not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? And one of the men who responded to that challenge was a man named J. Wilbur Chapman. J. Wilbur Chapman became a relatively successful traveling evangelist himself. Uh, This was around the turn of the century. And as his ministry grew, he recruited a young man who was uh, actually a uh, pro baseball player who was a recent convert to Christ. A guy's name was Billy Sunday. Uh, He was, uh, and he he actually recruited Billy Sunday to help him out with his uh, traveling campaign there, his crusades. And uh, of course, you know, Billy Sunday went on to become the probably the most the most successful evangelist of the first half of the twentieth century. And. Billy Sunday was conducting meetings in Charlotte, North Carolina, and there were many, many converts, as there were practically everywhere Sunday preached. And when he left, some of these converts formed a prayer group. They were so thoroughly converted that they began praying for their city, praying for their state, and they began praying specifically for another meeting, for another revival, for something to happen in their city that that had happened in their city before that had brought them to Christ. They wanted other people to experience it, and they began to pray. And at the the leading of the Holy Spirit, they invited an evangelist named Mordecai Ham to speak at their meetings. And during a citywide crusade, Mordecai Ham preached, and he got discouraged. They weren't phenomenal meetings to start out with. And he wrote in his prayer journal, Lord, give us a Pentecost here. Pour out thy spirit tomorrow. And the next night, November 1st, 1934, a young man named Billy Graham gave his heart to Christ. Gave his heart to Christ. It's interesting, Billy Graham tells a story that he actually went just to see the crowd. He had never seen a crowd like it before. And uh, he felt during one of the earlier meetings that he was being pointed at and noticed. And so he and a friend sat in the choir loft so they could be behind the preacher and maybe escape notice. And during the invitation, a man said, come on, let's go down front while Mordecai Ham was giving the invitation, another guy invited him to go down front, and Billy Graham got saved. Billy Graham, as you may know, died this morning. But, uh, sorry. I'm not sad. I'm not sad. (laughs) 99 years old. What a glorious... Entry into heaven. And we could say, you've probably all read about it today, read about his life. You probably all know about it. I mean, here's a guy who did so much and touched so many people, a a life and ministry untouched by scandal, honored uh, in the courts of kings and uh, presidents and everybody else. But you know what? 
through meetings and television and radio, he has preached to something like 2.2 billion people. 2.2 billion people have heard the gospel preached by Billy Graham. Over 3 million, some estimates as high as 12 million people came to Christ just in his meetings. It's incredible. Many, many more, of course, came to, came to Christ through his, uh, through his ministry as it was broadcast on the radio and on television, many people. Uh, and we're, gonna hear from, uh, we're going to hear about one of those right now. I'm going to interrupt what I'm saying and invite our pastor emeritus, Larry Millis, to share a story with us about Billy Graham. Thank you. Some of you uh, have heard this uh, before. <clears throat> I've shared it, but back in the beginning of 1970, my mother was very ill. She was dying of a rare disease. Uh, my mom and dad did not know Jesus. Uh, dad believed in God, but like so many do, but didn't have a relationship with him at all. And uh, And so... Uh, one day, Dad came from the hospital. He stopped by the hospital, as he always did, <clears throat> and talked with Mom. And she was having a good day, I mean, for her at that time. And he was just so excited. And he said he just wanted to thank God. It wasn't a case of just, oh, God, would you heal her? He just wanted to thank God. And, uh, you know, I had, I can remember, I was telling Scott today, uh, we were talking about this, and I said, I, I can remember falling at the foot of mom and dad's bed in their house. I'd gone in there to get something for them. I just fell down at the foot of the bed and just cried out to God because I knew she was dying, and I felt totally helpless to do anything, but I didn't know him either. But anyway, dad just wanted to thank God, and he remembered. Now, I don't know from how far back, I don't know, but he said, I remembered Billy Graham saying something on TV. Now, what's funny, you know that Billy Graham always ended every one of his crusades with an altar call. And obviously, Dad didn't respond to it. But the seed was sown nonetheless. Don't ever give up when you're talking to somebody thinking, well, that didn't, you don't know. And God's got other people to bring along to water that seed and to cause things to happen. But he said, I remembered Billy Graham saying, God couldn't hear you unless you knew Jesus. And he said he used the example of a telephone. Back, Keep in mind, back then we didn't have cell phones. There wasn't any wireless stuff. And he said, you're on, you got one phone in your hand, and God's got one up to his ear, but Jesus is the line between the two. And if you're not hooked up, he can't hear you. Which, of course, we know if you cry out to God to receive Christ, he does. But I understood what Billy was saying. And Dad remembered that. And so he goes home and he calls our Methodist pastor. And this is really interesting because here again it's how God can cause things to happen. And I'm not knocking any denomination. I thank God they got a man down there that's on fire right now. That hasn't always been the case. And, uh, but at that particular time it was. And he wasn't on fire, but he did know Jesus. I'm so thankful they didn't say, now, Glenn, you just go get a night's rest, and you'll feel better in the morning. 
He didn't do that. And, and uh, in fact, that same man, gave along about that same time, gave his once-a-year Southern Illinois fiery sermon, and Pam got saved because Noreen McGay had been praying for her to get saved, and, and Pam and Larry went to the altar at the same time. And, I mean, it, it's just amazing how this happens. But, but Dad called that pastor and said, I need to know Jesus Christ. And he said, uh, I also know Billy Graham said it was good. I'm sure Billy said this in reference to wanting people to come down front. Don't be embarrassed. You need to be free about letting people know you've made this decision. And Dad said, I'll invite all the people in my neighborhood you want to come to the house. I'll have them here for you. And uh, he particularly made reference to the guy that lived in the greenhouse that Scott later lived in down there, who was the principal of the high school at one time. He said, if you want Mr. Tremble to come over, I'll have him over. And, and the pastor said, no. He said, you and I will be enough. And they got down on their knees. Dad got on his knees and over the sofa, and he prayed, and they asked Jesus into his heart. And immediately starts talking to me. Now, keep in mind, all Dad really ever knew back in those days was this. He knew he could now talk to God, that he'd hear him, and he knew he was going to heaven. He didn't know anything beyond that. That's all he knew. And if you're sitting there saying, well, I don't know a whole lot more than that, share what you know and expect God to do something with it. And so dad immediately started talking to me about coming to Christ. And he started talking to mom about it. And uh, it was it was quite some time, and I won't go in. Many of you have heard my testimony of how I nearly just went nuts when Pam bought all the children's Bible books. That's another testimony all by itself. Um, but I just went off the wall because of that. But but point is, because of him uh, in my ear and because of my mom dying, I'm thinking, I don't know anything about God. I need to learn. And I remembered she had those books hidden. And she had them hidden because she knew I'd blow up every time I looked at them. And so I went and found the... Uh, the books, I dug them out, and I couldn't wait to come home every night to read those children's Bible books, which eventually led up to the crucifixion of Christ, birth of Christ, crucifixion, resurrection. And then I made that decision on May fifteenth, 1970. I called that same pastor. I didn't call him. I walked into his office on a Wednesday morning, and I said, I, wanna, I want you to pray with me. And we went out to the altar in the sanctuary, and we prayed. Meanwhile, Dad was still uh, uh, talking to Mom. I told Mom what I had done, too. And one day she called me and said, Would you ask uh, Pastor Seed if he would come up and uh, talk to me? I want to talk to him. And I knew then what she wanted. And the pastor later said, Yes, that's what Jack told Dad. That's what she wanted. And the point I'm, that I want to make, and I could go so many different directions in here, I'm not saying that I wouldn't have gotten saved anyway. I mean, Pam was saved. And as she began to grow in the Lord, I'm sure she'd have been on my case, and I'd had to deal with that one way or another. And so, I, I, I'm, and there's so much more to this story. The point, though, is this. Billy Graham sowed a seed in my dad, who sowed the seed in me, sowed the seed in my mother. And 11 years later, we started Living Word Family Church. I, I can't say, I just can't say we know that would have happened had that not happened that way. And it all happened because one man, and you say, well, I'm not a Billy Graham. It doesn't matter. It was the word that he shared. You could share that with a coworker. 
that's going through something and say, you know what? You need to know Jesus. I, I, I was, and I know that she had an audience. I just happened to catch uh, something that Kathy Lee Gifford shared this morning. I saw it on Facebook that she shared on the Today or, or with uh, Megan Kelly. Wow, was that bold. I mean, she laid it out. But you take those opportunities. And if it's just you on one-on-one with a friend at the coffee shop or somewhere else, you don't know. And you say, well, what difference is it going to make? I, I'll share it, but he doesn't seem to. You, you put the seed in him and let somebody else come along. Okay? I mean, Dad sowed the seed in me, and then the books came along. And then other things came along. There are so many aspects of this thing. But the bottom line is, even though we are connected with the Copelands and that, because it was Kenneth Copeland that got me stirred about the Holy Ghost and Kenneth Hagen then and going to Ramah. But initially, Billy Graham sowed the seed, technically, that started this church. And how many lives have we affected? I don't mean that to my glory at all. I just mean, look at the fruit that's come from that, that God used us to do. And, and the fruit that's come from you all. So, you don't know. But I know this. We need to honor that man's life and legacy. And uh, we owe him more than we may think we do. Amen. Scott. Thank you. Isn't that something? The interconnectedness of all of us. And listen. We all get it. God has his ways. Okay? You take one man out of the equation, one woman out of the equation, it doesn't derail the plan of God. I'm just saying there is a reward for faithfulness, and it is an exciting thing to be able to trace the line from today back to a guy like Edward Kimball in 1850. You don't know. You don't know where your faithfulness in small things is going to lead. You don't know where your faithfulness is going to take others. You know, uh, we, he- we hear this often a lot. We heard it off all the time at Rama. you know, despise not the day of small beginnings. You know, God has big plans for you. You know, never mind that. You don't know what, God, what God's plans are for the people that you're speaking to or teaching in Sunday school or sharing with at the coffee shop or at work. Kimball has a part in Billy Graham's reward. That's what I'm trying to say. All the millions of people that were immediately affected by Billy Graham's ministry, and then all the people who were affected and saved, converted tangentially through Billy Graham's ministry, people who got saved, who started their own ministries, who preached, uh, who shared, all those people, Edward Kimball has a part in that. You know who else does? Everybody that gave a dime to Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Because those, those crusades didn't happen for free. I shared this quote with you a, a number of uh, years ago, or a number of months ago anyway, when I was at uh, my infantry officer basic course, the commandant of our school, or the, I don't know, the different positions there, but the guy we dealt with most, uh, high, the, well, Lieutenant Colonel Adolf Carlson, who literally wrote the book on infantry tactics, FM 7-8 and 7-10. He was the guy who wrote the book, and he was a tough, 
uh, infantry guy, Vietnam vet, and a scholar. He was a big uh, military history buff, and he would share with us you know, the importance of infantry tactics. And uh, just a very charismatic guy, great leader. And uh, he was interviewed for uh, the Post newspaper. And, uh, of course, we all read the article. And in it, he talked about the importance of what he was doing. Well, what he was doing, he was training. He was the head of a school, the infantry school. And uh, the branch of it that I was at at that point was brand-new infantry officers. And so he was training a bunch of brand-new second lieutenants to be infantry officers, many of them who would stay in and become career officers. And you have to remember, I'm, I'm giving you this background so that you understand the significance of this quote, uh, the path to uh, advancement in rank, it's not, it's not only this way, but the, the, the surest path to uh, promotion was in the combat arms, still is. If you, want, if you want to make general, the, the best bet is to be in infantry, field artillery, air defense artillery, something, uh, or uh, armor, something where you're going to be fighting. Uh, that's, the, that's the quickest path to a star. And so what Carlson said was, he goes, I will probably never be chief of sta- uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff because of what I do here today. But it's almost a mathematical certainty that I will train one. Uh, it's not about who's going to be the next Billy Graham. There may, be a, they may, there may never be another Billy Graham. We're living in an age now. You remember this a uh, couple weeks ago after the Super Bowl? I think I shared this quote with you where uh, a guy on the radio, still don't know who it was, uh, was saying as I, just as I turned it on, he said that even Billy Graham in all his Billy Grahamness never reached 103 million people at once. And he was talking about the coach uh, who just said, I want to give all uh, praise and glory to my Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not as concerned about where the next Billy Graham is coming from as I am where the next Edward Kimball is coming from. Huh? He was a Sunday school teacher. What about a generation of Edward Kimballs? People who might not aspire to reach millions, billions of people, but people who are determined to win their Sunday school to Christ, their Sunday school class. What would happen? What if all of us made it our goal to win two people to Christ this year. Now, if we did that every year, every year of our lives, do you understand that if every one of us won two people to the Lord every year of our lives, it wouldn't equal probably what Billy Graham typically saw in one crusade? But do you know what? How many of those people, if they went out and won two people to the Lord every year? Do you see how quickly the world could be saved if that was what we were passionate about? If we were determined to do that? It's one thing to say, Lord, I'm willing. If it ever comes up, I'll say, I'll never deny you. That's for sure. 
but are we actively looking for opportunities to share him? What's holding us back? Are we actively praying, asking for opportunities to share? I can remember, I was, I was thinking when I read this uh, just today, I'd never heard until today about this, uh, this guy that was sitting up there with Billy Graham and his friend. It was, I can't remember the other guy's name, Grady, somebody Grady or Grady somebody. And Billy Graham were sitting up there. And when uh, Mordecai Ham was giving the invitation, this guy says, hey, come on, let's go up front. What if that guy hadn't been there? I can remember in Tulsa, when I was, uh, I worked at a grocery store and I loved my job. I think I've shared that with you before too. Uh, I was blessed. I mean, I loved school and I loved my job. I looked forward to going to work every day because I liked the people I worked with and I liked the customers. It was just, it was a pleasure. And, uh, so I made friends and as, and, and so I would, uh, at, at, since these guys were my friends, I would say, Hey, why don't you come to church with me? And I would invite them to church. I rarely went to church by myself. I would take a carload of guys, and I can remember on a Wednesday night, I took, uh, uh, I think, uh, three, four different guys, means I could fit in my car, really. We went to hear Phil Driscoll preaching at Grace Fellowship. Remember Phil Driscoll, the trumpet player? And he got up to, uh, and there was one guy, his name was Chuck, uh, who I had actually had the privilege of leading to the Lord. And he was there with me. And there was another guy named Billy with us who had not yet come to Christ. And uh, as Phil Driscoll was giving the altar call, Chuck looked down at Billy and said, Billy, let's go up front. And he looked at me. Chuck looked at me. And he winks. And he and Billy went down front. And Billy got saved. That's an awesome thing to see, to see somebody you led to the Lord leading somebody to the Lord. And Billy wouldn't have gone by himself. Billy's all another story that many of you have heard. <laughs> How about that? Whether it's here or somebody else, would you ever volunteer just to escort somebody to the front rather than just wait and hope and see if they respond? Hey, if you're nervous about going down front, I'll go down with you. How hard is that? And it's the reward in this is enormous. This is uh, one of my favorite passages in First Thessalonians chapter two, verse nineteen. First Thessalonians two, beginning in verse nineteen. This is Paul writing to the Thessalonians, and he's just he has just written. A, a, a wonderful opening where he's congratulating them for sharing the gospel. I'm not going to go into it deeply here because we're going to be getting there uh, in a number of weeks or months. But here's what he says in verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our joy, our glory and joy. We talk about what our rewards in heaven are going to be because of our faithfulness to the gospel. This is a real gut check here. What's the most exciting thing about serving the Lord? Is it about what rewards God gives you for doing his will? Or when you think about it, if you're doing his will, what's happening? People, other people are getting to heaven. What's his will? That you share the gospel, that you preach the gospel. 
everywhere, to everyone. And when people respond to it, they get to go to heaven with us. And Paul's saying, that's the reward. Not that there is nothing else, but Paul said, this is the, 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 whole, the, the central joy in this whole enterprise is the fact that when we are all there in the presence of the Lord, we get to see each other. I'm thinking about uh, Edward Kimball today. He's heard the well done, thou good and faithful servant. He's enjoying, you know, the Bible tells us. Now, I know there's something, there's something, there's a shift. There's something that's going to happen, and we're going to have to figure this out and uh, study this out and then do a, 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 um, a clear presentation when we get to talking about the last days. There's something that happens at the resurrection and at the judgment. There's a sense of permanence and a settling in. I do not know. Here's, what, here's all I'm saying. There's a difference between heaven now and heaven then. There's something yet to come for everybody, whether they have passed already or not. But the Bible, all that to say, the Bible tells us this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Billy Graham entered the presence of the Lord this morning. And you know who was up there? Mordecai Ham, Wilbur, Sunday, and Moody, and Kimball. And I wonder if a guy like Kimball looks at a guy like Billy Graham and thinks of all the people, many of whom are in heaven already, like my grandfather, who came to Christ through the ministry of Billy Graham, and there's Kimball. Can anything be a greater reward than that? What are you willing to do? If you are not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? Praise the worship team, come on up here. You know, our associate pastor came to Christ through Billy Graham on TV, right? TV or radio? TV. Hotel room? Black and white TV with the vertical hold off, right? <laughs> Wasn't the first time you heard the gospel. And that's the other thing. Yeah, Billy Graham uh, had, the, had the, the privilege of uh, harvesting reaping a lot of souls that had been cultivated, that had been planted, and had been watered by many other people. We need to rejoice in whatever part we play in this process. It's glorious. Stand up with me. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.